And uh, today, I've titled the message, uh, Messiah's Messengers, because that's what we are, isn't it? We're going to talk about how that, that's such our job, to be messengers for the Lord. And even that last song, um, I, did, I wasn't thinking about it um, earlier, but that, that he's given us the job to go out and find the lost sheep and bring them in because he's a good shepherd. And he's asked us to go and take that message that there's someone who can redeem, someone who can save. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And in the Old Testament, as we look through it, we see um, many of God's messengers. We call them, uh, in the Old Testament, we tend to refer to them as prophets. And they were men that God had called to, take, to give the message to His people and to... Um, uh, to it was multiple messages actually, and they, they served several purposes in the Old Testament. When we see them, one of them was just simply to remind God's people of their accountability to Him. Don't we all need to be reminded of that sometimes? Even as 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 children of God, we have to be reminded sometimes we are accountable to a holy God, and He gives us work to do. He gives us uh, things uh, not to do. Thing, other things that we are to do, and we have to be reminded of those things from time to time. So the Old Testament prophets, they reminded His people, you're accountable to Me. I'm the Creator, you're the creature. And it's, it's important that people be reminded of that. A second purpose of the Old Testament prophets were to warn God's people of judgment that was coming against continued sin. Because from the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, everyone who was born with an earthly father had a sin nature passed on to it. And so the propensity for people to sin was, was very great. We all know that. Every one of us can attest to the fact that we are born as sinners and that, that desire to sin is just it's innate in us and it, it takes over sometimes. And so God sent prophets to warn the people of Israel, uh, the people they were sent to, that judgment is coming if you continue to sin. But there was a third point of the message that the, the purpose of these Old Testament prophets, and that was to share the good news that you don't have to remain in that sin. You don't have to live under the condemnation of that sin because there's a, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Deliverer who's coming. And we see that all the way back in Genesis 3, 15, God had promised that there was one who was coming who was going to be at enmity against Satan. And that Satan's head was going to be bruised by that one when he came. And so we're told that uh, traditionally that from that point on, it was as though every mother was hoping that her child, or at least one of her children, would be that deliverer. Mm-hmm. We're told that every Jewish mother hoped and prayed that maybe her child would be <clears throat> the deliverer. And that he would be the one coming. But these prophets, they, they foretold that, that there was a redeemer coming. Someone who would pay the price of sin once and for all. In the, in the land of Israel, we know that the, uh, there was a day of atonement and they, they offered a sacrifice of atonement. And it, what it did, it covered their sins, but it didn't completely take them away. God looked forward to a time when the deliverer would come and he would take those sins away. And so these prophets in the Old Testament, they kept foretelling, look, you are accountable to God. Judgment is coming if you continue in your sin, but there's one coming who's going to take that sin away once and for all. And we know him as, uh, we may refer to him as a savior uh, or deliverer, but we really know him as savior, don't we? As the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today I want us to take a look at, not all of the Old Testament prophets, obviously. I wouldn't do that to anyone. Not anyone one sitting. But I want us to look at what I consider to be the last of that Old Testament breed of, of prophets, messengers. 
uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we actually don't find him until the, the opening chapters of the New Testament. He's John the Baptist. But in essence, because he came before the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the last of that Old Testament breed of, of prophets, messengers, who would foretell what was coming. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, you don't have to turn there. Uh, he said this, he had this to say about this, this last of these uh, prophets, these messengers who would come before the Lord. He said, Behold, I, send my me- I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Malachi predicted that. Matthew in his gospel, Mark in his gospel, Luke in his gospel, all three of them uh, quoted Malachi's verse there, Malachi 3.1, in reference to John the Baptist. So we know that uh, from the Scripture record, we know that John the Baptist is who Malachi had in mind, or who God had in mind as he was speaking through Malachi. Now, unlike the Old Testament prophets, who were foretellers of the messenger, or, the, or not the messenger, the Messiah who would come, John the Baptist was the immediate forerunner. He was the one who was actually going to meet the coming Messiah face to face on planet Earth. And so he had a, a bit of a special uh, place there, don't you think? Uh, better in, in many respects than Isaiah, he got to foretell the Messiah coming, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or Obadiah, or any of those Old Testament prophets. John had a special place. He was actually related to the Lord Jesus uh, by, uh, by family. He was only a few months older than he was, but he got to meet him, and he, he got to be that special forerunner, that immediate forerunner. Now, that might tempt some people to, to get puffed up like the Pharisee we talked last week about last week and, and start to feel his importance, don't you think? I'm the immediate forerunner. I'm better than Isaiah. It might... Uh, tempt some people to, to cultivate a following of their own. Well, you know, you, you folks, you need to come, come be with me because I'm the immediate forerunner. I, I, know who, I know who the Messiah is. He's Jesus. It might seek some people to seek glory of their own, don't you think? We've met some people maybe in our lives that, that, that might go to their head if they knew they were the immediate forerunner. Uh, but uh, John was different. And I think we can learn from that difference. As we, uh, I want us to spend some time looking at John's uh, ministry, some things that he had to say about his ministry to, to his uh, disciples. And now we can learn that because we too are called to be messengers for the Messiah, aren't we? He called us. The Lord has called every Christian to be a witness, to, be, to bear a testimony to the Savior. Uh, the Old Testament prophecies, as well as John the Baptist, they were foretelling ahead of time that the Messiah was coming. Our job is to tell after the fact that he did come and to help lead people to him. And so I think we can learn from looking at John the Baptist. So I want us to look this morning, if we can, uh, at uh, what John had to say about his role and then how maybe we can follow that, how we can incorporate that into our own lives. We're going to be looking in John chapter 3 this morning, if you want to turn there. John chapter 3. And before we uh, go any further, I'd like us to pray one more time as we look into to God's Word. Father, thank You for allowing us to, again, to be here this morning. Thank You for this congregation. Thank You for uh, people who want to gather together, uh, to, to look into Your Word together. First of all, to sing Your praises as we've already done. Lord, we, we bring our worship to You. We bring uh, to You our thanksgiving. We bring to You our adoration because You are God. You are our God and we are Your people. We thank you so much, Father, that you reached out to us and that you drew us to yourself. 
We thank You, Lord, for salvation through uh, the blood of Jesus Christ that paid the price for our sins. And as we look this morning at the, the ministry of uh, John the Baptist and what he had to say as that forerunner, as that messenger um, of the Deliverer, the Savior who would come, Lord, we pray that we might learn uh, things that we might incorporate into our, to our lives so that we might be better messengers as we share the Gospel with people who desperately need it in the world around us. Guide us as we look into your word this morning, Father. We pray that you might peak an interest in our hearts, that we might have a desire to know more and more of what you teach us in your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray. May the Holy Spirit move among us today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. It says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized and John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. It's kind of ominous, that statement, isn't it? John, that John was going to be thrown into jail because of his testimony. But not yet, he's free. Verse 25, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is, is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And uh, as we look through these verses, and uh, starting in verse 22 and going through uh, verse 26, we see that Jesus and his disciples had moved at this point from the area of Jerusalem out into the Judean countryside. And they were baptizing people, we're told here. Uh, Apparently that baptism must have had something to do with identifying people with repentance, much like John the Baptist's baptism did. It didn't in any way save people. Baptism never has saved anyone, has it? It just identifies us with something. As, uh, as believers, when we, are, we put our faith in Christ, when we're baptized, it identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This baptism, apparently, was identifying people with repentance. They were coming out to hear the teaching that Jesus uh, gave and to be baptized, to be identified with that teaching. So that's what they're doing out here, and they're near enough to John. John is continuing to baptize people at this point and turn them to Christ. He's calling them to repent. He's preparing the way for the Lord Jesus, and he's continuing to, uh, to point people, but apparently Jesus and his disciples were close enough, or in close enough proximity that uh, John's disciples found out about it. They heard about it. This Jesus over here, he's, he's, he and his disciples are baptizing too, and they didn't, they didn't seem to like it. So they came to, to John to complain. And I, I, I like what we see here in verse uh, 26. Uh, well, actually, I don't like it, but 
We'll, we'll take a look at it. It's not very good, actually. They referred to Jesus as the one, as they come to John, they say, He's the one that was with thee beyond Jordan. There in verse 26. What's the emphasis there in that phrase? The emphasis is on John's presence. It's not on the Lord, is it? He said, John, that one that, that came to you, he's baptizing now. And then they said, to whom thou bearest witness. So the emphasis there is on John's witness, not on Jesus' preaching, not on who Jesus is. So they've got the John's disciples, they've got the emphasis on the wrong place. It's, they're, it's almost like they're, they're jealous of someone taking emphasis away from their teacher. John had been their teacher. They're his disciples. They're his followers. And they're saying, nobody would have even know, knew who he was if he hadn't came to you and you pointed him out and said, there, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he said, they, no one would have known anything about that if you hadn't, John, if you hadn't given witness to him. So they're very jealous of John's, um, John's position or John's uh, witness there. It's a twofold complaint. They said, now he's baptizing. Again, there in verse 26. Now, now this Jesus, he's baptizing. And now he says, all are coming to him. Now, don't you think that made John feel good? Because John knew he was the fulfillment, I suppose, of Malachi chapter 3. He was the one that, who had been sent to clear the path to, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it must have made him feel really good that now all people were coming to Jesus. He must at this point must not have seen as many people coming to him for baptism, and he was okay with that. But his disciples, not so much. It's unclear to me if his disciples were more interested in the fact that his ministry was that John's ministry was declining, and that's what upset them, or if it was because they were his disciples, so their influence was declining as well. It could have been either of those, I suppose. Either way, John wasn't going to have any part of that at all. It's like, I'm not here to, to win a popularity contest. I'm not here to build disciples. I would rather... I can imagine John thinking in his mind, I, I know you guys, you're my disciples. You've got this problem. But at this point, I'd rather you go be his disciples because he's the one I was sent to point people to. But, so this morning, I want us to look in these verses. I want us to get a, a look at John's outlook on his ministry and what we can learn as Christians because we're messengers as well. And so I think we can learn a, a bit from John's uh, style, of, I guess, of being a forerunner or, or of a messenger. Verse 27, John said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. These guys were, uh, as they came and they complained to John, it's like things are being taken away from you, John. Uh, this, this, man is take, this man, Jesus, he's taking away the influence. He's taking away your opportunity to baptize people. And John said, I wouldn't have anything if it hadn't been given me from, to, from heaven. And he's going farther and he says, a man can receive nothing. None of us can receive anything if God hasn't given it to us. What is it that we receive from God? He, I think implied here is all the blessings we have, they, don't, they come to us from the hand of God. And John can, he can attest here at this point, I've had the blessing of baptizing people and calling them to repentance and meeting people I never would have met otherwise. And I've had the blessing of being able to point them to the one who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, that wouldn't have come to me except God had given it to me. Because John is saying, I didn't go looking for it. I didn't go start this ministry on my own. God gave it to me. And he says, opportunities 
that I've had to to baptize people and to point them to Christ, those came from God. I didn't generate that on my own. You know, when you get a if you get a job as a salesperson, you have to generate. Sometimes they'll give you a list of, of contacts that you can contact people who potentially might buy what you want to sell, and then you have you're responsible for generating your own contacts. John didn't start out in this ministry with some list of contacts. He didn't he didn't uh, get some kind of a a mail order salesmanship kit that says this is how to become a good Baptist. There was nothing like that. God opened up. He sent him to be the forerunner of Christ. He gave him that blessing. He gave them those opportunities. And along with it, he gave him the responsibility to be the forerunner, to be the messenger for Christ. And he said, I didn't ask for that either. God put me, put that in my heart and he had me to be the messenger to point people to Christ. And so he's telling his disciples, look, he's not taking away from something from me that, that I was ever looking for. God gave me this opportunity. And now there's the Christ. There's the Deliverer. He's the one that we're to be pointing everyone to. So don't worry about this. That's John's perception of, of this complaint that the men had, his disciples had. He recognized his role as a messenger. As Christians, we need to recognize that same role, don't we? That everything we have comes from God. We shouldn't be going around with some desire to fill someone else's role. John wasn't trying to find some to fill somebody else's role, was he? God said, I want you to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as Christians. It's not someone else's job. It's our job. It's the role that God has given us. It's what he's called us to do. Uh, John didn't have any ego to feed. He wasn't trying to build a following. He wasn't trying to get enough popularity that he could sell books or have some big uh, speaking tour or anything like that. He just wanted to baptize people, call them to repentance, and point them to Jesus Christ. And so there's no ego there. As Christians, we don't have an ego to feed either. We have a Lord to point people to, and that's that should be our goal. Not to try to, to, to gain a following for ourselves. There's no benefit in that. The benefit is for us to point people to Christ. John had just a simple acceptance. This was God's choice for his life. To be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. To point people to him. As Christians, our attitude ought to be the very same, shouldn't it? That's what we're here for. That's what God has called us to do. Another thing we see about that in John in his response to his disciples, and we see it in verse 28, he said, I am not the Christ. His very simple statement is, I'm not the one. He's not masquerading as something he's not. He could have. He had a lot of people who came to him for baptism. He could have, again, he could have been puffed up and he could have said, I'm the one you're looking for. I got the answers. But that's not John the Baptist. He's not, he's, again, he's not masquerading as anyone else. He's not portraying himself as anyone else. And he had no plans. It's clear. He had no plans to build his own kingdom. Jesus Christ was here to build a kingdom, wasn't he? And that's who he's pointing to. As Christians, we need to take that same approach, don't we? We're here to point other people to Jesus Christ. And we have to resist at all costs any temptation that there might be to draw glory to ourselves in the process. Don't we? We have to be humble enough to realize I'm not the Christ. Uh, That's not me. I want to point people to who he is, though, don't you? Isn't that what we all should want to do? So Paul, uh, John is making this very clear again to his disciples. Again in verse 28, he said, I am sent before him. First he says, I'm not the Christ. And he says, I'm sent before him. 
Malachi 3.1 again, he was sent by God to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a messenger who had been sent in front of a, a person of royalty, they, might, they would be sent to clear out any obstacles, anything that might hinder the king from getting to where he's going. In this case, John had been sent to prepare the way to keep to remove the obstacles that would keep people from getting to the king. He wanted to make sure there wasn't anything to hinder them, to hold them back. And he himself was not going to be something uh, to hold people back. Isaiah 40 and verse 3, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That is the ministry that John the Baptist had, to prepare the way of the Lord. He was sent to prepare people to receive Christ. As Christians, we look at it a little differently. John the Baptist was sent before. We're sent after. But the message is the purpose is the same, isn't it? We're sent after the Lord Jesus Christ came. He's already done His work. But we're still here to point people to the Savior. To share the good news that Jesus saves. He came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's our job. Romans 10, 14 uh, Paul asks a, a question to the church in Rome. He said, how should they believe in whom they've never heard or they've not heard? It's a good question, isn't it? No one can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if they haven't heard about Him. And it's our job to tell people about Him. It's our job to witness to what He's done in our lives. And that is what uh, we see that in the life of John the Baptist as well. They're not going to know who He is if I don't point them to Him. And so when he saw Jesus coming that day to be baptized, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's our job, to point people to the Lord. Verse 29, John said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. In the New Testament, we've got that beautiful illustration of the church as being the bride of Christ. That's a loving relationship, isn't it? Isn't it? Husbands... We ought to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. And they'd be a whole lot better blessed, wouldn't they, if we put their needs first. That's what Jesus did. He always puts the needs of the church first. When He was dying on a cross, when He was being beaten prior to being nailed to that cross, He put the needs of the church first, didn't He? He said, I'm doing this for my bride because I love my bride. He came to earth to gather His bride to Himself. And John says... He that hath the bride, he's the bridegroom. It's not me. I'm not the bridegroom. Jesus is. He's come to take a bride for himself. He came to build his church. And so he pointed everyone he could to the bridegroom. He said, you need to go be a part of his bride and enjoy that love. So we, as Christians, we ought to follow John's lead, shouldn't we? Again, do you, do you sense a common theme? And what I'm saying this morning, it's our job to point people to Christ, isn't it? That's exactly what John taught us. In verse 29, he said, The friend of the bridegroom rejoices with him. The picture there, I think, is, is more of like the, um, the best man. I lost the term there for a minute. I'm getting old. The best man, he rejoices with the bridegroom, doesn't he? It would, be, it, would, it would be a terrible affront against, uh, just a crime against nature, so to speak, if the best man started flirting with the bride, wouldn't it? John says, that's not me. The bride doesn't, she's not mine. She, she belongs to him. He's the bridegroom, and I'm so happy about that. I'm not competing with him. I'm not trying to, to, to take the bride away from him. I'm not trying to court his bride. 
I'm just here to make sure that everything about the wedding ceremony, everything about the, their final courtship before uh, the wedding, everything goes off without a, a hitch. I'm the one to make sure the rings are in the right place. And then we don't have that hiccup during the ceremony. I'm the one that makes sure uh, that if there's going to be a toast of whatever, uh, that it's done well. I make sure that nothing is wrong before this union takes place. That, that's my job. That's what John says. As Christians, we point people to Christ, don't we? We don't draw them to ourselves. We're not competing. We're not competing with the Lord for anything. We're just pointing people to it. It's a, it's, isn't it so simple? that we see that. And that's what John the Baptist is teaching us. He had no idea, I'm sure, that he was going to be teaching generations of Christians after he lived, this long after he lived, these, these principles of pointing people to Christ. In verse 29, John also said, he went on, he said, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. He had a genuine joy in seeing other people flock to Jesus Christ. All those people that had come to him to be baptized before, line after line of people, all day, every day, baptizing people, calling on them to repent. Now as they dry up and they're going over to where Jesus is to hear his teaching, he says, this my joy is fulfilled. I, this is a job God gave me to do. And it's happening. It's really happening. I, you know, when, when we read the, the account of Moses, when God called him to go into Egypt, he gave all kinds of excuses. He goes, you sure you got the right guy for this? I, I, don't, I don't speak good. And, and some say he was, maybe he had a problem with stuttering, that sort of thing. And he, he couldn't talk well. And God said, I made your mouth. I'll put the words in it. And he said, you know, they're not going to believe me if I go down there. He said, I'll see that they believe you. And he called him to go there. Can you imagine John the Baptist when, when God told him, I want you to go out in the wilderness. I want you to call people many of them who are already self-righteous. I want you to warn them that they're sinners. I want you to tell them that the Deliverer is coming, the Messiah is coming, and His coming is imminent, and I want you to point them to Him. You can only imagine John saying, sure you got the right guy? I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure people will believe me. And now, we, he's to the point where he's pointed people to Jesus Christ, and now they're going to Jesus Christ. They're not coming to Him anymore. And so he says, my joy therefore is fulfilled. Can we honestly say the same thing? That's a question we have to ask ourselves as Christians because again, it's our job, isn't it? It's our job to point people to Christ. But I've, I ask myself this question sometimes. Do, do we honestly have joy when people come to Christ? And, and one of the questions that, um, that comes to mind, do we want to be people saved? Do we want to do whatever it takes to get people saved? Or does it ever seem like a bother to us? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Have you ever been, you ever been in a church service and your belly's grow out growling in a church that has an invitation after the, the morning service and people keep coming forward and you're thinking, the beans are getting cold, the line's going to be long at the restaurant. It almost would seem like that, that wasn't your, your joy. Your joy wasn't being fulfilled because someone was coming to Christ at that point, wouldn't it? Is the Great Commission... I'll ask the question a different way. Is it ever a burden? Mm -hmm. He told us to go into all the world and, and mm -hmm. share the gospel. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we hesitate to share the gospel message with someone that the Lord puts on our heart. We have to be careful about that, don't we? John says, my joy is fulfilled because I did what the Lord told me to do. And now the people are actually going to Christ. 
If you've ever answered that call when the Lord tells you, has told you to witness to someone and you see them respond, and you see that glimmer of hope in their eyes, you can say what John said, my joy is fulfilled because I pointed someone to Christ. And that was, that's a beautiful thing. We don't save anybody. John didn't save anybody. He just pointed them in the right direction, and that's our job. Because it's not our responsibility whether they believe or not. God doesn't put that, that responsibility on us. That's His job. It's just our job to tell them, isn't it? To point people to Him. John said in verse 30, he said, I'm, He must increase. That is, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And that was the most natural thing in the world for John the Baptist. To say, Jesus is going to increase, I'm going to decrease. Because his ministry was to point people to Christ, not to do anything else. Not to build up any, any kind of a following for himself. In his mind, the Son of God always had to have the prominence. Always. Because he was sent as a messenger. As Christians, everything we do should be for Christ's glory. Every part of our lives, we should be uh, striving to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, even if that means diminishing ourselves. I've heard it said, um, I've heard uh, a couple of preachers say that every morning they like to start a prayer with something like this. Lord, today glorify Yourself at my expense. I'll pay the bill. Wow. It's a powerful prayer, isn't it? If we can pray that earnestly. Lord, today glorify Yourself, even if it's at my expense. That's the attitude that John the Baptist had here. Our status means nothing if souls are perishing around us, does it? My reputation doesn't mean a thing if there are people that I know who have never heard the Gospel and it's my job to share it with them. We have to take that approach, just like John the Baptist did, don't we? And we're responsible for that. In verses 31 to 35, John described uh, Christ's position. And it's in terms like this. He said He's from heaven. He's the Son of Almighty God. John says, I don't, I don't need a prominence. I don't need any preeminence. He's the Son of God. He's the one who came from heaven. He said He is above all. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, He had no peer. No peers on earth at all, does He? No peer anywhere. He's from heaven. He's above all. He said he testifies what he's seen and heard as part of the Godhead. John said, I don't have anything like that. Jesus is bringing you words from heaven. Listen to Him. Go and talk to Him. Listen to what He has to say. He speaks the very words of God. He said He has all of God's Spirit. Not just a measure of it. He has all of the Spirit of God within Him. John says, I have nothing like that. I can't offer that to you. He's the one you need to be listening to. He said that uh, Jesus, is He was loved by God. Now John could say the same thing, but not to the same extent, could he? Jesus was loved of God because He was the only begotten Son of God. And He had come. He said He's been given all things by God the Father. All things have been put under His, his feet or under His hands, under His influence. And John gave Jesus all of the preeminence because of that, because He knew who He was. He knew where He had come from. As Christians, we need to make sure Christ has all the preeminence as well, don't we, in everything. I want to read you a few verses that Paul had to, to the things Paul had to say to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1.17 says, He, that is Jesus, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He's before all things. Before anything was created, He existed. And then, by Him all things consist. 
Nothing that we look around and see around us would be here if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we point people to Him. Colossians 1.18 says, uh, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He is the first. He's the head of the body. Colossians 1.19, Paul said, It pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, all the fullness of the Godhead. When people saw Him walking the earth, many people didn't realize it. Some did. Many didn't realize They were seeing all the fullness of the Godhead represented right there in human form. 100% God and 100% man and 100% Savior of all mankind. Isn't that good news? Paul said also to the Colossians in Colossians 2.9, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is our Savior. And He still has that glorified body. We'll see Him one day. In that body, we'll see Him in our glorified bodies. And we'll spend forever, eternal life with Him. We'll never be separated from Him if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, won't we? We need to make sure then, just like the, the, uh, John the Baptist, that Christ has all the preeminence in everything. Verse 36, John said that only Christ can save. Nothing or no one else can. He pointed the people closest to Him away from Himself and to the Savior. That, that's very commendable for John, isn't it? Again, he wasn't trying to build a following. He was trying to point people to Christ. He didn't let their admiration detract or distract him. And he didn't let his any aspirations on his part distract him from his job to point people to Christ. We have to do the same thing as Christians, don't we? We've got to point people to Christ for salvation. The people who are closest to us. That's who John pointed. Those disciples that were closest to him, he said, you need to go to him. We need to do the same thing. The people who are closest to us, our family, our friends, the people that we are closest to, we need to point, make sure we're pointing them to Christ, don't we? Anyone else God gives us the opportunity to witness to, we need to point them to Christ as well. And we mustn't let anything derail that purpose. John wasn't going to let anything stop him from pointing people to Christ, even when he was threatened. Even uh, with, he knew that he was, he was drawing the ire of the people around him, and yet he still told the truth. He got himself arrested. He eventually was beheaded. But he didn't stop telling the truth. He didn't stop being that messenger who God had sent to prepare the way for Christ. We need to be that kind of witnesses, don't we? Don't let anything stop us. Verse 36, um, John uh, made it clear that failure to believe in Christ has uh, twofold consequences. One is, if you fail to believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life or no everlasting life. The second is, that the wrath of God abides on the unbeliever. We have to stop and think about that one as Christians. Now, if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have either of these consequences. We do have eternal life. And the wrath of God doesn't abide on us. But anyone who has never trusted Christ, that term abide is very permanent. It says the wrath of God stays on you. It's there. And it never leaves. And you will be accountable for your sin. That is scary. Those are scary words. For anyone that we know who has never trusted Jesus Christ, I think it was scary for anyone that John knew. Anyone who came to him, he was calling on them to repent. Not because he was angry at them. Not like, repent you sinners. It wasn't because he was mad. It was because he was concerned. You need to go to the one who can take away that sin. 
so that you don't have the, the wrath of God abiding on you. As Christians, don't we have that same responsibility? We have to make it very perfectly clear to people who've never trusted Christ. That's not a popular message, is it? To tell people, uh, without Christ, you don't have everlasting life and the wrath of God abides on you. That's not a popular message, but I can assure you, hell is not a popular place either for anyone who's left this life and gone there. And we don't want to see that happen. God didn't call us to be popular, did He? He called us to be faithful messengers, just like He did the Apostle, or not the Apostle, but John the Baptist. And so we need to be careful to do that. He didn't call us to be popular. He just called us to be faithful messengers. If that doesn't warm your heart, nothing will, I guess. Because I'm not responsible for whether anyone believes me when I share the Gospel. I am responsible for trying my best to be believable. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to be one of those people who comes across and people say he's some kind of fanatic. I, I don't. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't want to be that person. We do have a responsibility to to come across as someone people can trust, but it isn't our responsibility whether they believe. We just need to be the messenger, just like John the Baptist was. Now, John had disciples, uh, students, followers. We would call them. His uh, responsibility was to lead them to Christ. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say that no one in this room has followers. We don't have disciples as a general rule. I don't have any, I'm not sure. But we do. Every one of us has somebody that's watching us. Uh, if you've got children, it may be them when they're younger. It may it could be grandchildren. It could be a neighbor. It could be a co-worker. Someone who's looking at you, especially if you say you're a Christian, there are people who look at you to see how you react to things that go on around you. And if they've heard that Christians are supposed to share the gospel and you never share the gospel with them. That says something about you, don't it? So we got to be very careful that we are faithful messengers. Even though we don't have disciples per se, we are responsible to point people to Christ. Jesus said there was uh, none greater than John the Baptist. He said that in a couple of places in the New Testament. I think he had it in mind because of, of these characteristics that we've seen of John. He, well, he wasn't... He wasn't trying to build a, a following for himself. He was simply being the messenger that God had appointed him to be. And so Christ said, there's nobody better than great, uh, greater than John the Baptist. I don't know that we will ever hear Jesus say those words about us. No one's better than whoever we might happen to be. But wouldn't it be good if someday we could hear him say those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Because we can't hear those words, can we? If we're faithful to what he's called us to do. Now, uh, we've seen what John the, the Baptist, we've seen the, the approach he had and, and how it applies to us. I've, I've heard this somewhere, I don't remember where I found these, but there are three, uh, it's been said there are three primary responsibilities of a messenger or of a forerunner. And we'll look at those quickly as, as time is dwindling. First primary responsibility of a messenger, clear the way. Clear the way, remove the obstacles, remove... Uh, as, as Christian uh, messengers for Christ, we remove uh, the misconceptions about sin and salvation that people might have. We take those away. We try to educate people. We remove, if we can, any false notions that someone might have about self-righteousness because that stands in the way, doesn't it? If someone doesn't believe they're lost, if someone doesn't believe they're a sinner, then they're never going to believe they need a Savior. And so we don't want to, to foster any... Uh, or, or, any of these notions that people have that they're self-righteous. 
uh, the Ten Commandments will very clearly tell any of us, show any of us, we're not righteous. Uh, because of the, if we break that law in any one place, we've broken the whole law, Scripture says. And we've all broken it in far more than one place, right? And so there are people around us. So we, we're to clear the way. We're to leave no room for false ideas about God's claim on people. We're to make sure people understand we are accountable, all of us, to a holy God. All of us are. So we clear the way. A second primary responsibility for a messenger is to prepare the way. How do we do that? We share the gospel message. We share with people that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And with him we share the good news. But there is one who can take away that sin. We call people to repentance and we invite them to trust Christ. So we, we clear the way first, then we prepare the way. And then the third primary responsibility of a messenger, and this one's very important, is get out of the way. Because we don't want to be hindering anyone else, do we? People need the Messiah, not the messenger. We're messengers, not messiahs. And we don't want to come up with some kind of messiah complex, do we? We want to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I, I have every reason to believe that at least most everybody in this room, if not all, are Christians. You put, we're born-again believers. And so we need to follow and learn well from John's example. If there is anyone here who's never trusted Christ, I would invite you. Don't leave today without doing that. Because John's assessment still holds true. We see it in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That is very good news. And he that believeth not, the Son shall not. Or he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That is still just as true now as it was when John, um, or when uh, these words were recorded by the Apostle John in his Gospel. We don't want to see people go into eternity lost, do we? And so as messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be sure we're sharing the gospel. We want to share it faithfully. And we want to see people saved. Not to, not to build us up, but certainly to build them up so that they become children of God. So I hope this has been helpful. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you again for allowing us to look into your word. The, uh, John the Baptist was a, was a marvelous example for people. Uh, he may not have seen himself that way, but he was an humble servant. He recognized he wasn't the Christ, and he wasn't going to take any glory from uh, the Lord Jesus. His job was to point people to the Savior. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us learn from that example. As Christians, help us to be ones who point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved, that they might come unto the knowledge of the truth, that they might be born again into God's family. So, Father, we pray that you might make us the witnesses that we ought to be, that you might strengthen us in that regard, that you might give us the courage to do just as John the Baptist did, even if people reject the message, to continue to share it and then rely on the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts to receive that message and to come unto the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Help us as we go our separate ways today, Father. Glorify yourself in, in everything that we say or do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.